Hello, Pastor Friend. This is Dean Taylor here on Shepherdology. I'm glad to be able to spend some time with you again. And here through this season, we are doing about one a month of the episodes of Shepherdology. So it's been a few weeks since the last one, but if you're listening as we do them, uh, hopefully it's an okay pace for you. If you're listening to them maybe afterwards or later on, then of course you can do it uh, whatever pace you'd like. But we are connecting what we're talking about today to what we talked about last time, which is leading through change. So being a pastor is leading in a church situation where change is happening or needs to happen. Before we do that, I do like to begin each of these episodes of Shepherdology, a pastor's friend, with an encouraging truth. A few days ago, I was listening to the Psalms. I've been having my devotion time in the Word by audio over the past several months. And I'm nearing the end of the Psalms. I'm listening through the Old Testament right now, but also through the Psalms. And uh, I was listening to Psalm 146. And there was one little phrase in there that I'm going to mention in just a minute. But as I as I heard that phrase, I started thinking about my life and about how God has been proactive in my life, intervened in my life, been present in my life. And really uh, 30 years, about 30 years of, of ministry, 25 as a pastor and five teaching here at Faith Baptist Bible College. And, and as I thought about this phrase and thought about my life, I just praised God for this reassuring, encouraging truth. So let, let me share it with you. Psalm 146, verse 6 has this phrase in it, He remains faithful. He remains faithful. So in the midst of everything that's changing, everything that's difficult, God is faithful. He is steady and consistent and rock solid in his character in keeping his promises, in providing what we need, in accomplishing his purpose, he is faithful. And what I was relating it to was, again, my own life, and I thought back over my years of childhood and being a, a young teenager and some of the things happening in my life and how God really preserved me from some choices I could have made, directions my life could have gone, and kept my life on a good path at that point. Then as a teenager, when I was living in Florida, and then transitioning into the college season of my life, and again, God just very clearly directing my life in the way that he wanted it to go. And that was about the time I was opening my heart to ministry and um, seeking the direction God had for me and pursuing that. So through the college years and then seminary and then meeting my wife and getting married and having children. So the childhood phase, teenage phase, college and seminary phase, all of those have major points of uh, where you could make, go one way or the other. Life could take one direction or another. And God was very faithful to me through all of that, just keeping my life on a good path. And as I surrendered my life to him for ministry, he led me to prepare for that through college and seminary and then brought me together with the, the person that I would spend the rest of my life with, my wife, whose heart is in ministry with me. 
And then the years of, of pastoring, nine years in uh, Wisconsin, 12 years in South Carolina, or four years in Indianapolis before that as a youth pastor, then nine in Wisconsin, 12 in South Carolina, and now five years here teaching. So, so that season of life of pastoring and now teaching. And I look back over all of that, and I think of that phrase, he remains faithful. And there have, been, there have been changes, there have been difficulties, there have been complicated issues, there have been times of just heartache and heartbreak and anguish, but also uh, times of, of celebration and great opportunities and God accomplishing wonderful things in the churches I was involved in and the people's lives that I ministered to. But through it all, God was faithful. He remains faithful. And his wisdom was always available. His grace was always there in the right measure. Uh, he gave strength for hard problems. He gave energy for exciting opportunities. He gave help through complicated counseling and church discipline issues. He provided financially. He provided materially. He provided in every way. And he's faithful. And I share that with you as a word of encouragement because wherever you are on that path, whatever season of life you may be in, it might be good for you to take a look back, do a little bit of review and reminisce, and think about God's faithfulness. And that's especially true if you're experiencing a, a challenging time right now, if uh, there's something that's weighing on you or is extremely hard right now for you in life or ministry just to look back and be reminded of God's faithfulness, and maybe that will reassure you for uh, what you're facing right now. Of course, we uh, we strive to be faithful, but you and I both know that we falter, that uh, we're inconsistent, that we fall short, but God never does. He never falters. He's never inconsistent. He's always consistent with his character, always keeps his promises, and uh, he does not fail. And we can always rely on him. So even when you can't rely on yourself, you can rely on him. So just be encouraged by that truth that he remains faithful. Psalm 146, verse 6. We've been talking about leading through change. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about that here today. And what I was started sharing with you in the last episode are some steps to take as you think about leading through a time of change. And there are many different examples, many different ways that uh, changes happen in church life. And uh, so I won't go back and review those again. But the first step to take is to start with why. So look at Scripture. Think about your mission, why your church exists, where it is at this time. What is your purpose? So start with why, and then prayerfully evaluate. And I shared with you a list of questions to use as you evaluate the decision. And that's the, the one that we ended with. So we'll talk about a few more steps to take as you lead through change um, here. The third step is to teach truth that prepares the congregation. Teach truth that prepares the congregation. There are a lot of practical aspects of change. There are a lot of decisions. There's a lot of information to consider and to weigh out and discuss. Uh, there are a lot of um, just uh, announcements about logistics and all of that. So there's a lot of practical 
lot of the practical side of it, but a church needs to know that the change that's being made is anchored in truth, that it is guided by the Word of God, that it is produced by some principle in Scripture that is compelling the church to pursue this change. Uh, for example, I've, I've used one example of um, uh, our church going through the process of establishing small groups, which we called community groups, for the purpose of closer fellowship, stronger community, uh, more one-anothering within the body, and to provide a format for discussing the previous Sunday's sermon and interacting with each other about that and discussing applications of what we talked about in the Sunday sermon. So we, we call those community groups. And the change included adding an off-site setting where people would be gathering. So rather than just gathering on the church property at scheduled times, they were gathering in homes off-site. In our process, it involved moving our Wednesday night scheduled events to Sunday evening, our children's ministry and Bible study for adults and things like that, to Sunday evening in order to open up that weeknight for community groups and some other other changes as well. So uh, it was really a significant change for our church. But we wanted to make sure that people understood that there was a biblical basis for this. And so we talked through, and as pastors taught through, principles of biblical fellowship and what that really looks like and how it is not just sitting together in the same physical space. Fellowship is not standing around a church lobby holding a cup of coffee and having a conversation. Fellowship uh, is, is not sitting everybody face forward in a row of seats in a Sunday school room listening to one person speak. You can fellowship in those settings, but those don't define fellowship. Fellowship, or what we call community, goes way beyond that. It's much deeper than that. And real fellowship probably can't happen to a great extent in those limited settings. And so we talk through from Scripture what fellowship is and, and taught from key passages related to that, as well as the one another passages in the New Testament and the ways that we are to be treating one another, helping one another, ministering to one another, and just taught through those from Scripture and then described how community groups could provide the format for this true fellowship to happen. And we found that that people actually became more receptive to it. In fact, I remember uh, during the, the summer preceding when we started the actual community groups, we did a, sort of a, 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 an approach, a, a process of doing something like it, but on site during the summer. So I would preach certain messages, and then on our Sunday evenings, we would break out into groups and meet at various places around the church property. And I remember one particular um, uh, lady who had some resistance to it. She didn't really like the idea and sort of grumbled about it. And at the end of the, the summer, after we had done this a few times, had these, these breakout groups, we had a testimony time. And, uh, you know, when you open up testimonies, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, this lady walked to the front 
And I wasn't sure what what she was going to say, but she said, you know, when all this started, this idea of small groups and discussions, she said, I didn't like it. It was uncomfortable. But after we started doing it, she said, I realized how valuable it is, how helpful it was for me. And I really am excited about moving forward with this idea of community groups. So that was amazing. So, So teaching the truth, letting people taste it and then experiencing it and then realize, oh, we're doing this for a reason. It's a biblical reason. And this is how we're fulfilling that biblical purpose. So teach truth that prepares the congregation. So think about the change you're considering and think about what in God's word uh, presents the basis for that or guidance for it or even maybe compels the church to align with that particular truth in God's word. So that would be the third step in leading through change is to teach truth that prepares the congregation. Number four is more of a practical step. Establish a realistic timetable. Establish a realistic timetable. And this is where the leadership has to really be able to think forward and map out what the process is going to look like. And this usually takes place over a longer period of time than we might at first imagine. Uh, you know, we might think, well, we're going to dream up this idea and have it up and running within a month or two. Well, if it's a significant change, that's probably not going to happen because it takes time to get all these pieces in place. So it may take several months for the leadership to discuss the idea and to maybe revise the plan and get input on it and revise it further and then make a decision about what it's actually going to look like, what this change is actually going to be. So it takes time for the leadership to discuss and decide. It takes time to teach, as I just mentioned. If it's a significant change, you may teach for months on on the topic or from truth that addresses this change. And then informing the congregation. Uh, I've, I've heard of church situations where the pastor got up one Sunday and announced a major change that was happening the next Sunday. And it was just like making a, a hard left turn, and people weren't sure what was happening, and they had all kinds of questions. And, uh, you know, that may be necessary in some settings. Don't want to be critical of that, but I would say, generally speaking, it takes time to adequately and clearly inform the congregation of, again, the reasons, the process, the steps, um, all the different uh, possibilities and what-ifs and the questions that come up. And so it takes time to inform the congregation. So in, a, in this step of establishing a realistic timetable, think in terms of how long it's going to take to make announcements, to have information meetings, to take questions and to respond to them, to uh, communicate in, in various formats so that you're not missing people. So inform the congregation. And then, and then implementation. So when's that going to happen? Uh, the community group process that I've talked with you about, uh, we, we formulated the plan in the fall of one year as leaders, and then at the beginning of the next year, we started communicating with some key people about it, so deacons and others, and really made the decision to move forward at the beginning of that calendar year. And then through the spring, we started recruiting leaders. So we needed people who would be leaders of these community groups. 
And then we had several training meetings with those leaders during the spring. So we planned it in the fall, decided and consulted with, with key people and decided at the beginning of the calendar year over the months of spring, recruited leaders and had training meetings with them. In the summer, we began to inform the congregation and teach the congregation. We also had a pilot group, so one community group that actually consisted of the leaders themselves. So that pilot group met through the course of the summer. And then in the fall, so a year later, we began four or five community groups with leaders. And then the next spring added a few more. And so it took over a year to really get the thing up and running. And that's just an example of, of the uh, timetable. And so we have to be realistic, honest with ourselves, honest with uh, our leaders and, and our people, and just think through how long it's actually going to take. And even that may change. And so we certainly have to be flexible with that, but we want to allow plenty of time for that. Uh, step number five is to patiently respond to questions and resistance to patiently respond to questions and resistance. And this is one thing that I, I realized, is that change prompts a lot of questions. People just have questions. Some of them are wrestling with the idea. Maybe there is resistance. Some of them just want to know how it's going to work. And, and some of them actually have questions about areas that we might have missed and haven't really thought about. And so we need to be open to that as well. So patiently respond to those questions and there may be resistance. I shared with you last time some percentages based on Tom Rainer's book, Who Moved My Pulpit, Leading Change in the Church. And he says that 25% are resistant and 20% highly resistant. So 45% potentially, not all the time, but potentially could actually have uh, a, a reason to resist the change. And so we have to anticipate that, have conversations and share the, the truths and present the reasons and give people a chance to think about it. And some of that resistance may may go away, um, hopefully so. But some may continue to resist. And uh, that can be that can actually be helpful because it challenges us to really think it through and interact with people. And uh, the, the article um, that we're going to talk about in a few minutes um, that talks about leading through change actually addresses this idea of resistance, and it talks about appropriate resistance and inappropriate resistance. This will be an, an opportunity to teach our people. So if you disagree with something that the church is doing or the leadership is, is pursuing, how do you handle that? How do you, how do you pr approach that? How do you resist it in an appropriate way? Is there an appropriate way? And the article that we'll talk about in a few minutes, I think, has some great information on that. So we're talking about leading through change, and the steps we're talking about today include teaching truth that prepares the congregation, establish a realistic timetable, patiently respond to questions and resistance, and then the next one is lead by objective. Lead by objective. And what this means is, we don't make it about ourselves. I'm the pastor. You should follow what I say. Uh, we don't make it about, uh, you know, we, we just want to be bigger and better, some pragmatic reason. We, we keep the mission of the church and the objectives that we are pursuing in front of everyone. So this goes back to why does your church exist in your community at this time? 
and keep reviewing and calling people back to that mission. And then our objectives, and let's say one of our objectives is we want to improve our fellowship. We want to to practice true fellowship in our church. So with example of community groups, we want to keep that objective in front of people and say, all right, community groups is a way for us to pursue this objective. So we're leading by objective. We keep the mission and the objectives in front of everybody. We keep reminding them and encourage them to pursue this mission and these objectives together. And then the the seventh step is communicate, communicate, communicate. There is so much communication that has to happen in connection with change. And we might feel like we have taught the truths and we've informed the congregation and we've answered the questions and we've announced the specifics and the logistics, but then it's time to communicate some more. And this is very important because people miss things. Uh, Sometimes people have other ideas on their minds or they're thinking through why they're concerned about it uh, or they just aren't there when the announcement is made or they miss the informational meeting. And so communicating repeatedly through various channels and different formats is very important. Now, I'm going to um, switch over to this article now I've been referring to, and it's called Leading Through Change Without Splitting the Church. It's by Tim Pollard, P-O-L-L-A-R-D. And as I mentioned in the last episode, on my website, deanhtaylor.com, if you just, if you, in fact, if you just do a Google search, uh, Dean H. Taylor, and then Leading Through Change podcast, it'll take you to uh, a post on my website, and I have notes from what I'm talking about, and I also have a link to this article. So you, of course, can look up the article yourself, but if you just want to find a link to it, go to deanhtaylor.com, Leading Through Change podcast, search for that, and uh, you'll see the link there for this article. I find this article very helpful. In fact, I use it with um, with my church administration class that I teach here at the college, and I have my students work through it, and we discuss it because I want them to be aware of these principles. And so I, I recommend it highly to you, Leading Through Change Without Splitting the Church by Tim Pollard. I just want to highlight his top 10 of managing change. I'm going to click through these pretty quickly. But I'm going to focus on the one that that I just mentioned to you about communication. So he calls these his top ten of managing change. The first is prepare. So prepare your heart. Um, Make sure that that your heart is in the right place. Then counsel. So get counsel. Don't do it alone. So prepare, counsel. And then prepare your people. Prepare your heart. Get counsel. Prepare your people. Um, And then the fourth one is plan, so carefully construct your plan. Then his fifth top ten of managing change is communicate. And I'm just going to read it to you. Communicate, 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 because fear and uncertainty are such significant parts of why change is hard. Communication is a huge antidote. Then he gives some bullet points, key things to communicate. First of all, reasons for the change. What problem are we solving? Make people aware of the pain we're trying to make go away. Create good common ground. 
So communicate the reasons for the change. Then he says, communicate how the change will glorify God and strengthen the church and reveal the gospel. Then communicate how the change is consistent with the mission and values of the church. Communicate how the process will work. What's it going to look like the first month, the first three months, the steps of getting from from where we are now to, to where this change is fully implemented. So communicate how the process will work. Communicate uh, by carefully and clearly affirming how and where and when people's voices will be heard. So people want to talk. They want to express their concerns. They want to give their input. They want to um, to get their questions answered. So make sure that you that they know what those channels of communication are, where they can listen, where they can ask, where they can express. And then communicate by sharing that relationships are key. So you're reassuring them that relationships are essential. It's not just about changing things structurally or organizationally. No, uh, we are concerned for you as our people. And then he says, communicate by being honest when you don't have all the answers. So if somebody asks a question and you want to, um, you realize you don't have the answer to it, you say, you know what, thank you for asking that. That's very helpful for us to know that that's a question and let us look into that and get back to you and then do it and get the answer back to them. And so it's okay to do that. And then his other uh, top 10 of managing change include um, understanding opposition, uh, building coalition, being flexible, being uh, wise with your timing, maintaining momentum, and ultimately glorifying God, being grounded in God's glory. So I do encourage you to to uh, take a few minutes and, and read that article. I think it can be very helpful to you. But I wanted to share that in connection with, with my last point, which is communicate, communicate, communicate. Now, changes sometimes happen very smoothly, and everyone embraces it, and the church moves forward, and that's great. That's a blessing. We can celebrate that. Other times, it's not as easy, and I think these principles can be helpful. So I hope that they are helpful for you, and uh, whatever kind of change you may be considering or praying about or even right in the middle of, that these thoughts will be helpful to you. And again, just know that uh, you're not the only one. You're not facing it alone. There are other people who have walked through it, and uh, you have a friend here who wants to encourage you with that. Now, I want to end, as I always do, by praying for you, uh, wherever you might be, if you can quiet your heart with me and let me go before the throne of grace in your behalf. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you've brought us together here today. I know that pastors uh, go through various seasons of their own ministries as well as church life. And as we started out by being reminded that you are faithful, you remain faithful, uh, may we rest in that truth today. And I pray that my pastor friends, whatever way they might need that reassurance today, that they would grasp that and be encouraged by it, that you remain faithful. And then I also pray uh, for any who might truly be going through a significant change in their church and their ministry, that they would seek truth from your word, share it with their people, really shepherd their people through the process, and um, just help them with, to have wisdom with communication, with timing, with decisions, or sometimes I know that there are influential people in a ministry, and they can be, uh, they can have strong resistance 
So I pray you'd give my pastor friends real wisdom and grace in communicating and in maintaining the relationship with those people and uh, and hopefully having unity moving forward. So I pray for that for them and for their churches. So thank you for your faithfulness to us, and uh, we pray for strength and grace as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Friend, for connecting with us here today on Shepherdology. Lord bless you and your ministry.